Hello everyone, this is David Dacry. Welcome back to the Open Bar Experience. Today's episode is Tales. Like I've mentioned before, right now, I am doing anything and everything in this podcast just to figure out what is that I like to do the most. And so I'm playing around with some music today, but also I want to talk about my uh, my time at Tells. The, I was there from Thursday until ended up staying till Monday and um, really had a great time. There was a lot. Of, there was a few things that went that that happened that weren't very cool. And uh, I'll talk to, to you about that in just a second. But um, one of the things going into it was that we already knew that the opening party from William Grant was going to be non-alcoholic. An interesting thing that happened whenever I got that night there on Thursday night, I was talking to someone that was went to it. And what they told me was that it was interesting because what ended up happening was everybody went to the other parties, drank, got their, uh, their drunk on. And then ended up at the William Grant party was no alcohol. So everybody just got to hang out and uh, and just be around one another without alcohol. And so it was cool because they got to sober up before they went back to their place. So the interesting thing about that is that everyone was able to hang out without continuing to drink. Um, just be around one another without uh, getting so drunk that you wouldn't remember the people that you saw, because that happens a lot in these events. You know, you have so much drinking going on that before you know it, you're you're way beyond your uh, your threshold. And so that was interesting. And I don't know if that was intended or unintended, but I know that for the person that was telling me this, uh, it wasn't intended. She just went and she was like, oh, shit, you know, when in the next day thinking about it, going like that was really cool because. I got to hang out. I got to talk to people. I remember stuff. Um, and I got up and I wasn't all, you know, hung over the whole day. So that is an interesting point because that is something that uh, I have talked to uh, uh, about with a friend, which is what about a space in which we get to hang out late at night that is not an after hours club? Because what's in the after hours club? You know, there's alcohol. But even worse than that, it's just hard drugs. That's what happens in the uh, after-hours uh, clubs. And so, yeah, they're the, the space that we have to, to hang out. And um, for some people, I guess, you know, that's the fucking thing. Um, do hardcore drugs, not my thing. So I think that and there's a lot of people that I've talked to that feel the same way. They feel that it'd be cool to have a place to where, I mean, you can eat. You know, there's just partake in the economy, um, so to speak. And at the same time, have that that decompression time of 
just got off of work at 3 30 4 o'clock in the morning uh, i don't want to necessarily want to go home um let me go here and hang out with some people maybe have a glass of wine uh maybe just get something to eat maybe just put my feet up for a little bit the problem with that is that you know most business <laughs> businesses are not going to operate in that way because the whole point i mean the business pays its bills by the way that you spend money and so that is an idea and that you know let's have a space at that time but then it creates that problem is how do you how do you how do you fund it um and then if you go into somebody else's place are you just letting anybody come in i mean that's an issue too because i've had I've, I've i've done that and i've had a problem of shit coming up missing and that happens so i don't know you know i'm just throwing the idea out there uh hopefully someone else has uh come up with a solution but just saying, uh, that was an interesting thing about the uh, Will and Grant party was that it gave everyone the opportunity to consort and hang out and um, uh, chill after all the other events and in a really cool environment and uh, non-alcoholic. So, you know, cheers to that. tells go for me well i ended up getting there thursday night i drove and um through a series of events of working 14 shifts in a row just to make sure that i had the time off ended up getting there like i said thursday night uh right before the uh, texas toast uh goes off and uh, it was cool um uh, you know Got the hellos and what's up from everybody. And, um, well, backing up a little bit, I had uh, tried to get a, a room in the uh, Monteleon. But the thing about it was that I didn't realize that once you sign up for your seminars, then you get a special rate. And had I known that, I would have stayed at the Monteleon. However, I looked at the real price of the Monteleon for, for it, that those nights that I was going to stay there. It was $490. That's a shit ton of money for me anyways. And so I decided to stay at the Airbnb, you know, just horrible person that I am. Anyways, the uh, Airbnb got confirmed um, and then I never got a message from the host. Long story short, uh, I end up sending a message right before I leave Houston and um, 
I get to Baton Rouge and I remember, oh shit, you know, let me, uh, let me check on this. And I look and, uh, nothing, no message. Now, mind you, I, I booked this like a couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks before tells and about 10 days or so, 10 to 14 days. And so, you know, the whole time I hadn't heard from this guy. And what I was thinking was, well, maybe it's just one of those things to where, you just get a code because it was built private building, right? And, you know, I get the code and I get inside and there's a lockbox for, for the key. Easy enough, right? So it's just like, this is the code, this is the apartment number, and this is the the code, you know, the the, the for the um, lockbox. But I hadn't heard from this dude. So then I get to Baton Rouge and I'm starting to think, huh, okay. Maybe he works late or I don't know what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, you know, I'm giving the guy the benefit of the doubt. So I get to New Orleans and I check again and nothing from him. And so um hanging out with some people. I'm telling them, you know, what's going on with this. They're like, oh, shit, you should check. You should call him. So I call him. Rings like four times. It goes to voicemail. I leave a message and um, wait a few minutes, five minutes or so. Didn't hear anything back. Call again, straight into voicemail. Call again, straight into voicemail. So I'm, I'm like, my fuck. Now I don't have a place to stay because, you know, here I am with my shit and I'm already in town and this guy is just ignoring me. So I contact Airbnb. They have great customer service. I'm not going to get into that. I end up with the place next night. So that night, by the time all this happened, and I'm getting, you know, changing this thing to that thing to the other thing, going back and forth with the person in order to uh, find a place for me to stay that I liked. They sent me some links and whatever. It's like four in the morning. So they're like, hey, you know, we'll pay 80 bucks for you to stay somewhere tonight. And so, uh, you know, that's that. So I'm like, okay, I'll stay at Motel 6 and, and it'll be fine. Well, Motel 6 in New Orleans is a little different, especially in the city. Not only did I get stuck behind a parked train, and it's impossible to get around it. And You know, it's New Orleans. I don't know the roads over there. I know the roads in Houston. And so I finally get to this Motel 6, and the first thing I see is uh, some tranny trying to get the attention of the guy behind the counter and the bulletproof plexiglass or something some shit like that and two minutes later is you know a couple of guys trying to get a room for you know three hours or some shit like that and so for the sake of not getting bed bugs I just got the fuck out of there went to the Waffle House not too far from there and uh and it ate and read and did my shit that I needed to do for Airbnb and whatever else. Basically, I was just sending them angry emails about, you know, how shitty it is that I prepared for this thing and I had no place to go. They were really good about it, though. But anyways, not filthy, nasty emails, but very stern. Anyway, so I go and uh, that morning I'm up all night from the day before. um, Friday morning. So finally, their registration opens. I go to uh, the registration, uh, get that done, 
Now this year there was a lot more information that they took from from you than before, like driver's license and all that kind of shit. Where you actually had to input it into a computer, and they're keeping it in their records. So I wasn't so thrilled about that. I mean, yeah, I mean our information is all over the place, but fuck, you know, do you really want your information in one more place? So that was that. Um, went to my first seminar at three on Friday and it was, uh, this is Africa. And it was really interesting because the panel was, uh, people that were, um, uh, of African descent, but, uh, raised in different parts of, uh, Europe. And, uh, so they're, what they were bringing to Africa was the European way of cocktails and whatnot. And they had, uh, a school there. Um, I think, man, uh, God, I'm not even going to fuck it up, but I think it's like Bar TV or Cocktail TV. I think it's Bar TV that they have a, um, a YouTube channel. And the really, so so we had a couple of other cocktails and one of them really stood out to me. And of course, whenever I asked them, you know, the recipe for it, they're like, well, I'll give you the recipe, but there's this one ingredient that is just, you can't get here. I mean, it's just, it's a local ingredient and it's there. So it was kind of, I mean, it tasted really good, but it was also like this, you know, Viagra effect to it, I guess, <laughs> is what they were saying. But it was really tasty as well. It's kind of like a, a different version of the lion's tail. It had that, that deep spice uh, richness to it that was really tasty. So that was very cool. Um, and then after that, it was a matter of getting ready for the evening so yeah, so went to the uh, Disco Noir, had an incredible time, um, really fucked up on that one a little bit, or a lot, depending who you ask. But the next morning I had a great uh, breakfast over at the uh, magazine, um, good company, um, and then uh, it was a matter of going back and, and like I said, getting ready for uh, for... Saturday seminars, which I made the mistake of driving to, to I made the mistake of tra- driving to to uh, to Bourbon Street, and not only was there a shit ton of traffic on the freeway, and you know, like I said, the roads are different and they just don't. It's not easy if you make a mistake. It's not easy to just turn around. Furthermore, people in New Orleans just walk on the street. They just cross the street whenever they feel like it. So you constantly have to look for pedestrians. I mean, like, I can't remember what was that. Major roads, like, you know, Houston, in Houston, like a Westheimer or, you know, like a main road. People just walk in front of your car. Like, they just walk out on the street. So that's another thing. I have to drive slower. But then I get into Bourbon. I'm trying to find a place to park, and everywhere I get stuck in some construction or some traffic. So I'm trying to go around it, trying to go around it. I get stuck where there's like a marching band in the middle of Bourbon or one of the side streets of Bourbon at a stop sign and like traffic is moving. There was like three cars and it took us about 15 minutes to move three cars. So I got into the first parking garage that I went into that I, that, that, that I noticed and lucky me, it was uh, about two, three blocks from, uh, from the Monteleon. So 
Unfortunately, though, it was about 10, 15 minutes before the, the end of the seminar, so I completely missed it, and that was pretty shitty. Um, so then I go to the Monteleon, uh, text uh, some friends that I have been hanging out with, and uh, two beautiful ladies and, um, from Houston. So they're at the carousel. We hang out there for a little bit. We actually walk over to one of the tasting rooms. And then uh, from there, one of the things I really wanted to do, I wanted to go and have a really nice dinner at, uh, in New Orleans. And so one of the places that we could walk to was uh, Peche. Um, and so we did. Went there, no reservation. They took us in. Um, <laughs> we were looking like hell. No, we weren't. We were looking all great. And so it was a delicious dinner. Um, had sparkling rosé, had some appetizers, some oysters, fish, bunch of sides, pasta. It was delicious. I mean, like all of it was incredibly delicious. And that was one of the highlights for sure. So then we went back to our perspective places of abode, um, went out for music, uh, live music that night. And one place, which I won't mention because it's always like people like, Oh, being so negative and that's trashing places or whatever, which I'm going to touch on in a minute about negative, what it is negative and what is positive. But first, so we go to this place and great band, really, really great band. Um, having a good time uh, listening to them. And so they already had drinks. And so I went to the bar to get one. I waited for about five minutes. And this bartender, they're, they're like, you know, kind of sort of taking care of, pe- taking care of people. The one that I, I'm looking at over here, I mean, he's taking care of this lady in front of me. She leaves and now it's my turn. And this other guy had come up a couple of minutes before and was standing there too. So I guess there was one guy that was getting off shift. And so the guy that was tending bar at the well that I was at just grabs a beer and a glass, splits it with the other guy, and they start to chit-chat by the POS. Then there's like two other girls, and they just kind of look around, and they're like, oh. They had that, oh, my God, there's so many people type look on their face. And so they just go and start chit-chatting. And I'm like, the fuck? I mean, there were there were multiple people there that were waiting for drinks. And, you know, the place was losing money because these people were just chilling. The bar staff. So I, I'm not all about I'm not about that. So I just turn around. I don't need to drink that bad. Uh, enjoy the music for a little bit longer. Then we decided to go somewhere else. So walking down Frenchman, this is on Frenchman, walking down the street from uh, Frenchman, uh, about a block or so, block and a half, there was an art space. Uh, I forgot what they call it, but it's an art space. A bunch of artists were there. Beautiful art. One of the things I noticed about, about New Orleans was the, the art had a lot of feeling. I mean, it had a lot of soul. So coming from someone who used to paint in oil, man, that was, that was really, really great to see. So next to that place is the uh, Spotted Cat. Now, the Spotted Cat is, when you walk in, is a divey dive bar. 
But when I walked up to the bar, there were two bartenders. They were both busy, but they were hustling. And so I ended up getting a drink, actually getting a few drinks, buying a few drinks for other people, for one, some of the musicians, as a matter of fact. Um, I asked for water, gave me water, and they kept refilling my water because we finally found a spot near the, uh, in front of the stage where the bar is. And man, the music was fantastic. I mean, the music was really entertaining. In addition to the fact that we met up with, well, we didn't meet up, we just happened to uh, get to know someone there that is also there for tells. And he was having an incredible time <laughs> dancing and just partying it up. And it was great to see. It was, it was, it was a great, great vibe, great energy, to the point that whenever we left there, we were going to Bartonique for the uh, trailer park pool party, whatever. Um, you know, we, we all tagged along and, and, and went together. That was a little bit longer of a walk than I thought it was going to be, but it was, it was fun because we engaged in some very serious conversation about what Tells is doing and what the Beyond the Bar program is all about and how we have to start implementing um, programs that talk about addiction and that can uh, help people through addiction in order to really truly be a professional uh, craftsman career. Because no one is going to take us seriously if we're always stupid drunk at work, having a beer, you know, with someone that's getting off shift um, while we're on the clock or we're stupid drunk while we're on the clock or any of that shit. So I'm all for it. Um, I'm, I'm going to follow what uh, Beyond the Bar does and, uh, and see what, what's up. I, I hope that there's, uh, there's a lot of good things that is going to come out of that. Now, further, later on that night after Bartonique and everything, I went to get something to eat over at um, Clover Club, the Clover Grill. And now, that was interesting because I saw a familiar and friendly face, and we just like, hey, what's up? What's going on? And there was, the place was packed. There was really nowhere to sit. So I was invited to sit at their table and it was three people table of four so i think nothing of it we started talking about the podcast this podcast and uh i started talking about how there are things that need to be talked about that i think that we neglect that we overlook and that sometimes we're just afraid of because we don't want the powers that be to look poorly upon us and we don't want to piss off the darlings of the industry whatever market that you're in and the conversation was moving all forward and good and everybody was yes and whatnot and until I started to actually name names and <laughs> and say some real things. And then suddenly I came across the opposition. Now basically the way I broke down that in my mind was I had someone next to me that was open to hearing what I had to say. I had someone that was wanting to have a conversation for, well, was trying to convince me that I was doing the wrong thing. Um, but I was still open to the conversation. And then there was someone else that just thought that he was making fun of me. But he was really being foolish because he had no clue about what he was saying. And so, you know, it was it became this really strange thing. Um, and the, the thing is, it's like 
if we engage in conversation, I'm I'm gonna, I'm, I'm going to give you my my point of view, right? And and the more foolish you are, well, up to a point, anyways, you know, I'm just going to brush you off. If you want to have the conversation, even though you might not be understanding what I'm saying because you've made up your mind, which is not really a conversation, but you're trying, then I'll go as far as I can with that too. I'm more interested in the people that actually want to hear what I have to say and I want to hear what they have to say. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with what I'm saying. Now, on the point of what is negative and what is positive, simply put, truth is positivity. Lying is negativity. And so the way that I see it is in those situations where you have to speak truth to power and people tell you that you're being negative, well, essentially you, whether you realize it or not, you're the sort of people that protect the Batalis and the Weinsteins of the world because you don't want to speak to truth to power. You're afraid of what might happen, right? And so in the way I figure it is some people are just afraid of that because either one, they're complicit, two, they're just like them, or three, they have found a comfortable place within that structure and they don't want the structure rattled because then they're going to have to work their way into another space. You know, I understand that. I don't agree with it. I understand it, though. So don't try to tell me that I'm doing I'm being negative whenever I'm saying something that is uh, is honest and truthful just because it's not what people want to hear and then just because it's not what you think is should be said or the way it should be said sometimes it just needs to be said and then the conversation can occur So on another couple of things of uh, tells, um, big congratulations to Andy Seymour, who got uh, um, mentor of the year, international mentor, I think is what it was. Um, I'm going to give you a little story on that. Andy Seymour. Okay. So on my very first uh, world class, my very first competition. I went to world class 2014. I remember my the the first I was in the the very first one in my group 
and our first heat was uh, speed. And the judges for that were uh, Jeff Bell and John Lemaire. And I remember thinking, you know, I do this all the time. You know, I got this. I practice a little bit at, at uh, my home bar, but figure it's like, you know, once I'm in the, in the, on the spot, I'll just kick in. I mean, I didn't know shit about competition. So I go get my stuff. I set up the well that I have has like a POS right to the left of me. So I have like nothing. I have no space to the left of me. I have a little bit of space to the right. Long story short, I go and I'm talking and I'm making my drinks. And in order to make really tight flavors in my drink, I decided to switch from ounces to milliliters, which, by the way, that's what I use in my bar now. And that's what the staff uses. But it's different (laughs) whenever you're switching at the very at the very go. And so that was a bad switch. It's just like new tins for a competition. Bad idea. Bad, bad idea, which I also did in this competition. And so at the end of it all, six minutes, I was supposed to get four drinks. And for those of you that have uh, been doing, have done well class recently, you know that that's like the standard has risen so high. I made two drinks in six minutes. Two fucking drinks. And I was livid with myself. And I was like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> and I remember whenever the time stopped, and I don't think I, they were even garnished. John Lemaire says, seriously? And to me, I looked at him, and I was like, he read my mind. Because that's exactly what I was thinking. It's like, what the fuck is this? Jeff, you know, being the nice guy that he is, he was like, he sipped on one of them, and he was like, Man, they're really good. And and that was the end, <laughs> the end of that. So whenever I, I got my stuff together and I went to regroup, Andy Seymour comes through and he's like, you know, I never met this guy. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know any of the, who these people were. And he uh, he's very encouraging. He's like, hey, man, you know, you're still in it. You can still be, be in it. You just got to, you know, be strong on the next two and all that. And I was angry with myself, but I sure in the hell wasn't about to quit. I mean, I just realized at that moment that, you know, I didn't prepare. And not just that, but number the, the in the group, I was the very first one. The second one was uh, Julio Cabrera. So, I mean, it was like never competed in, you know, professional competition uh, bartender. And so, you know, that was, that was my first impression of, of, of Andy Seymour. So him getting mentor of the, of the year was no surprise to me. Um, long overdue, if, if anything, uh, because the very first real engagement that I got with him was him being very encouraging to me whenever I had just made a fool of myself um, in, in competition. Second heat, I didn't do all that much better. I forgot a bunch of shit. The third one, by then, I just didn't give a shit because I was like, fuck it, you know, this is, I'm not going anywhere. And so it, it was the best heat that I had because I was able to finally relax you know, and just do what I do. So Andy Seymour got uh, mentor of the year and uh, uh, John LaMera got the Lifetime Achievement Award. So congratulations. And um, yeah.
understand Once happy to voice time is the opposite of it But wonder why the That's uh, pretty much the majority of uh, what I did uh, at Tales, how it went. For the most part, I stayed. I, it was a big mix between Tales and New Orleans. So my advice is next next year, whenever you do Tales, make sure you get out of that circle and go and check out New Orleans. It's got some beautiful places and uh, a lot of fun stuff to do. One of the things that I wanted to do before leaving, uh, which kind of dragged on for me, was uh, visit Latitude 29. I hadn't been there before. And so on Sunday, I went and um, consequently stayed there too late till close and ended up staying one extra night till Monday. But while I was there, I talked to one of the bartenders, great bartender, very, very entertaining, very talented, uh, Kim. She's in a book called uh, Drinking Like a Lady. So it happens that uh, young lady sitting two chairs ne uh, next to me was one of the co-authors. She was there tasting the drink that had been put in the book. Well, Kitty Evans um, is the co-author. I was able to get a short interview. <laughs> that was strange. So while we were at Latitude 29 on Sunday, she had a dinner to go to. And we planned on doing it Sunday night after dinner. As always things happen in tales, it just was one thing after the other, and uh, we, did, we weren't able to connect that night. So the next day, she texted me to apologize, and I was like, let's do it now. So went over to where she was staying and caught her on the hallway with her luggage at the front door, and you can hear the maintenance man on the on the outside of the door talking we ended the interview right as the uh the lift 
pretty much was getting there. And um, yeah, we was just, it was a, you know, you know, shotgun weddings. Well, this is a shotgun interview. <laughs> I just got right in front of her with the mic and say, hey, tell me about your book. So that's up next. Um, and remember, keep the conversation going. So, uh, what's your name? Kitty. Kitty Amen. <laughs> and tell me about your book. Oh, thank you so much for asking. So it's called Drinking Like Ladies. Um, it's uh, profiles of 75 unsung women from history. Um, and then it's got 75 bespoke cocktails, so cocktails that were created for the women um, in their honor by modern working female bartenders. Uh, so the book, um, it's been 10 years in the making. Um, my friend, Misty Kalkofen, who's my co-author, she and I, uh, it was actually really her idea. So she concepted um, the whole book and the idea uh, writing a blog. Um, and I was little, like a little baby bartender slash waitress um, looking to get some writing credits, like trying to become a freelance writer. So I started writing a blog in 2007. She and I did. And we wrote for the local Alt Weekly. So we had a column in like our local paper. Um, didn't get paid for it. <laughs> and, and yeah, that was the whole deal. Uh, our friend of ours is a book agent, and she thought it would be a great idea for a book. Um, it got rejected no less than 20 times. Wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it sucks, but that's kind of part of the, part of the whole thing, you know, with books, book ideas, rejection letters. <laughs> what did get rejected? <laughs> I think that letters are the kind of thing that I feel like the publisher would be embarrassed that they had sent now. Okay. Um, so one was, uh, one, <laughs> one, they were like, oh, we just don't get women in cocktails. I don't know if they didn't think women drank cocktails or like what the fuck, but um, we don't, we, we just don't get it. Um, it's also, uh, it's um, the, the, in terms of cocktail books, there's like not that much room on the shelf. Like I understand that. So, um, but yeah, we got rejected uh, over 20 times. <laughs> One of the publishers, so our book is called Drinking Like Ladies. Mm -hmm. uh, we were rejected in 2013 by a publishing house, which is a really great publishing house. Um, and last year, uh, no, two years ago, 2016, they came out with a book called Drink Like a Man. So <laughs> apparently drinking like ladies is not interesting, but drinking like a man is. <laughs> uh, that's horrible. Nah, it's all right. <laughs> So one of my favorite things about the book concept, actually, is that my co-author and I are uh, donating all of the proceeds that we get from book sales, like things that we sell at our own events, to charity. So um, we're going to do them. As we do events and sell books, we're going to be moving around from different markets, like so different cities. Uh, and whomever's hosting us and working with us, we're going to have them choose a charity. <laughs> going to have them choose um, a local charity that they like supporting and give the proceeds all to that. Okay. Yeah. What about book tour? So book tour, we're kind of taking ourselves on a book tour. Unless you're like um, an Obama or a Clinton. <laughs> Most publishing houses won't take you on a book tour, but um, my friend and I both work for um, liquor companies and we have a lot of contacts, obviously, in the liquor business, so we're going to try to take ourselves on a tour. Um, with support from various brands, and that's yeah, that's what we'll do. We're gonna. What, my goal, my dream, is to go to every city that um, is has a woman 
profiled or featured in the book. So if that happens, we'll be going to Russia, we'll be going to Australia, we'll be going to London. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> what about New Orleans? Did you already have a couple of those guys? Yeah, that's where I met you. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Kimberly Patton Bragg um, from Latitude 29, she made a drink that was in the book. Um, Abigail Gulo made one as well. She works at Compare Le Pain, and a woman named Lucinda Weed, and she works at Black Penny. Thank you. 